So we, I want to end our series on worship. It's hard to believe that we've uh, had five Sundays already. Uh, so please turn your copies of the scriptures to Psalm 135. Again, like I said last time, Psalms, the Psalms do not have chapters. They have Psalms. They're songs. They're hymns. And so, and when you talk about them individually, you talk about them singularly. Psalm 135. Now, there's a couple other things as I was studying again this week and over the last few weeks and thinking about the Psalms, the Psalms that I ran across that I thought, well, that's, that's just interesting to know and it helps us understand them a little better. There is a great deal of parallelism in the Psalms. Now, we, I noted our hymns this, the, or the, the songs that we sang this morning, Change My Heart, O God, make it, how we often kind of repeated ourselves and used a little different language. But that, that there is this kind of similar theme. And if you know, we'll notice it in, in Psalm 135. If, you, if you're open there, I'll just pick one out. Uh, for instance, uh, verse 2. Who's, it's talking about those who praise. Who stand in the house of the Lord in the courts of the house of our God. See the parallelism there? Like it, the first port, half of the verse says something. Then it's restated in the second half. It's how they made music and poetry. But it also is meant to, to say it and say it again and say it again. So it's drilled home. So there's a lot of parallelism in the, psalm, in the Psalms. But there, another thing that we sometimes don't know what to do with in the Psalms is the, um, what we will call uh, maybe the judgment, uh, dash their babies against the rocks kind of passages. And I, I was thinking about that you know, the, the, the psalms that say, God, I hope you take my enemy. And I, I, yeah, I've, I'm quite dared to do that very well yet. And it's very practical for the people who, who are writing these. I mean, it is very personal. It's not just kind of out there in, in the vague area. It is very serious and very personal. And they say, they name enemies. And they, they, do, and they say, take care of this, God. And I, I was reading C.S. Lewis's book on the psalms. And it, he, he had a really interesting um, contention about those songs, those psalms. The difference, he says, is that Christians picture this as a criminal case, and God is the judge. And uh, they kind of picture themselves as the criminal. He said the Jews, when they read those psalms, see, them, see this as a civil case. And they are the plaintiffs. They are bringing their case to the Almighty Judge... And they want the judge to rule in his power and his strength and to rule well and bring them damage. Bring them reparations for the damages that they have suffered. This is about justice and God uh, bringing justice. And he, he says this, We need not therefore be surprised if the Psalms and the prophets are full of the longing for judgment and, the, and, the regard, and regard the announcement that judgment is coming as good news. We don't often think about judgment coming. Be careful, the judgment day of God is coming. It has been drilled in our minds that that's something we need to kind of dread. It is something that, that we will actually be the plaintiffs in that. If we are followers of Jesus and followers of God, we will actually be the plaintiffs in that and say, God, look at what they've done. Please bring judgment. And, and he's, he goes on, hundreds and thousands of people have been stripped of all they possess and who have the right entirely 
on their side will at last be heard. And so when you read those psalms, and there, there is a bit in our psalm today uh, about the just judge, then is he primarily who writes a wrong in a civil case. The divine judge is a rescuer, the champion. In fact, the judges, uh, the book of Judges in the Old Testament should sometimes be called the book of the champions. It's these champions who rose up. And in the Jewish people's mind, God is the ultimate true champion who will rise up and bring justice and mercy and, and powerful vindication for all they've suffered into the world. Reparations are going to come. We will be repaid for all that we have suffered. And the soup, the suffering is in the soup. All people are going to suffer all the time. Everyone who is human will at some point suffer something. Death, loss, grief, whatever. The, and, and, and as John Stallworth said recently, the, the, the suffering is in the soup. Everyone eats it. The, the point is, live well and the suffering will be repaid. May not be in this life, but may in the next. And as, as we've thought about the Psalms, think about them in that light. And we also want to kind of return to the idea of worship. And, and unfortunately in our modern world, worship is something that happens 20 minutes on Sunday morning. And uh, in, in the 1990s and early 2000s, we, we had this sweeping movement called praise and worship. And uh, I, I want to contend and argue that that is something that, it, that Christianity should have embraced a long time ago all the time. Now remember, our, our working definition as put forth by Brother Tim is worship is the activity of glorifying God in His presence. It's what we do when we glorify God as He is present in our world. The Westminster Catechism, which by the way is one of the older catechisms in our English-speaking world, is noted for giving us a phrase that, that when they would ask people who are joining church and so on, what is the chief end of man? Or they'd ask this in their service, and in nearly every service they would do this. What is the chief end of man? Or what is man really created for? And they would say the chief end of man is to glorify God, is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So, do you do that for 20 minutes on Sunday morning and that kind of lasts for the week? Does that work for you? doesn't work for me. I, I've been thinking about that. What does that really mean? And, you know, I can kind of understand the chief end of man is to glorify God, but enjoy Him forever? I, I was thinking about that. And I was thinking about, okay, how many of you glorified God this week? Don't raise your hands. Uh, because I'd, 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 then I'd need to ask, why did the rest of you not raise your hands? Well, anyway. Um, how many of you enjoyed God this week? And how do we really enjoy God? I mean, most of us have this kind of dreadful fear of God. We know kind of what to do with Jesus. Because we've seen Him in action. But we're really scared of the, the judgment seat of God. And I think that that comes from a wrong view of who we are and a wrong view of who God is. If He is our Father, uh, I have to tell you something. I, I was thinking this morning, when are moments that I've enjoyed my dad? Now, my dad is gone. 
uh, some over four years now, but I've had many moments. And my mind goes back to my childhood, and I was probably six years old. And I was trying to figure, put a date to it. It was probably six years old because of my size. I was always short. I, by the way, for the first three years of school, I was the shortest person in my class. I was shorter than all the girls even. Anyway, uh, I had a growth spurt, and I'm still short. But anyway, uh, so, so I was short, this little boy. and I was about five or six years old. One, early one morning, my dad came into a bedroom. Now, I shared the bedroom with my sisters at the time, so I was really young. Or we were, at least, that's my recollection. And he awakened the children. There was, would have been two of us, Deb and myself. And he said, you have a choice today. You can either go with me to work, or you can go with mom to grandma and grandpa's. Well, yeah, there was no choice in that. I'm going to work with my dad. And I remember as this little boy, he, he, worked, he, he was a timber cutter, and uh, we, he drove a skitter, actually. And, and so we went to work, and on, we got out to the pickup, and his driver said, oh, my. And so they got a hard hat, you know, a metal hard hat, out of the back seat and put it in the front seat. It's a bench seat in the front. And I was small enough, I sat on top of the hard hat so I could see out the windshield. That was days before car seats, you know, and all that stuff. And uh, belting in was something you did when you put your belt on in the morning, not in the car. But, and and I, I just remember we got out to the woods, and my dad cut a piece of a chunk of tree, and he, uh, a stump end, and he put it into the skitter beside his seat, and I sat on that. Bounced around, cold, bounced around all day. But that day rings in my memory as a day that I enjoyed almost more than any other. And to my dying day, or my cognizant days, I will remember that day. And it was a day where my dad and I simply enjoyed each other. Now suppose we could translate that level of interaction into our relationship with God. And suppose that God actually created us to love and enjoy. And suppose that eternity starts not some future date... And, the, and the heaven doesn't start some future date, but it's already begun when you became a Christian. And when you became a Christian, God said, that is my child. That is my, yeah, he's not perfect, he's my, but he's my child. He's not all grown up. He's still five years old, but he's my child. And he has gifts and talents that are important to the kingdom. And so when we live out of that and when we take that view uh, of ourselves and our king, then and only then can we really enjoy Father, our God. So it, think about it as going to work with God. You get the chance to go and work, to go to work with God. By the way, several months before my dad died, uh, several weeks before my dad died, he visited us. We were living in Connecticut at the time. Uh, my dad visited and. Early one morning, I asked him if he still remembered that day. And he said he did. Because, see, it's a two-way street. And when we can enjoy the presence of God like that, uh, it's something very powerful. And, and then and only then does, do, these, do these passages make sense. Um, so, so when we think about the practice of praise... The practice of worship. How do we do it? How do we do it all the time? Uh, again, I return to C.S. Lewis. Uh, he says, how many of you have ever discovered a new author? 
A new book. You read a book and you, oh man, but what's the, you read this book and it's powerful. Maybe it's a good novel and it just swept you up into the story. And what, what's the first thing you want to do about it? What do you want to do about it? Read more, okay? Read more. But what else? Or, or here's another one. You had this, uh, you, you're, you're hunting or you're walking out in the woods and you step out to the edge of a hillside and there spread in front of you is this grand and glorious view. Or uh, you heard a really good joke. And uh, what is it that you really want? You want to tell someone else. Hey, did you hear about this good book? This book. Man, you ought to, you ought to read this book. Or, oh, I stepped out. And, and this is so true uh, of so many things. There are many times, when, uh, several years ago, I was, I was hunting. And I, I, it was early on Monday mornings of, of gun season. And the sun came up in the, in the west. There was a little bit of snow on the ground, but it clung to the trees. And it shone through those trees. And it was one of those moments where you absolutely felt beauty. You ever do experience that? You felt it. It soaked in. And you know what my inclination was to do was to grab my phone and text somebody and tell them how beautiful this is. You experience that? Or you hear a good, really good joke? Really good jokes are meant to be told. Now, some people don't get jokes. They're too serious about life. No, they're too serious about themselves. They think they're above jokes. Uh, Recently, I was at a banquet, not ours, but I was at a banquet, and people were telling really bad Russian jokes. Uh, you know, Russian voting election, they had voted at this uh, meeting for who gets prizes. And anyway, it was just, but everybody laughed because everybody enjoyed with them this bad jokes. I really like corny jokes. Uh, but anyway, I, and, and uh, as I was thinking about those things, is, is C.S. Lewis said, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely ex- expresses, but completes the enjoyment. You know what happens when you read a really good book, you have a really good meal, you see that really beautiful view, you hear this really funny joke, is when you tell it to somebody else, the cycle is complete. And you, you, you've, you've consummated, you've, you've finished the cycle of, 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 that, of that, whatever that is. Now sometimes people don't get it, but, but he says... We delight to praise because the praise not merely expresses, but it completes the enjoyment. It makes it more complete. It finishes it. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it's expressed. That's C.S. Lewis. And I thought about this in relation to uh, an old couple that Narita and I once knew, David and Rhoda Showalter from Plain City. And they're in their 80s at this point. And I was talking to David. He had talked about something about marriage at an event. And he said, but I, I just, I was talking in private. And he said, Do you, did you notice how beautiful my wife is? And, or he's, and then he went up to her and he said, you were so beautiful when you talked. And I'm like, this, okay, this lady has wrinkles all over. You know, you. Anyway, uh, it's kind of like your parents saying. Uh, but, uh, uh, but the point is that, that it wasn't complete. His love for her wasn't complete until he addressed it to her. And in some ways, that's what this idea of praise is to God. We sometimes get this kind of distinct feeling is, uh, see, see, we're like this. Uh, what I want to be told is how good I am. <laughs> what I want to be told the most is I want people to say, boy, you are really good. That's the selfish part of me. That's the selfish part of me. 
Because then I soak it in myself. And sometimes we assume that God is almost like that. Well, he's so good, but he wants to be told. That's not the point. The point is what it does to us. The point is what it does to us. God is perfect and complete. The point is what it does to us. So let's look at, at this. Um, uh, and Psalm 135. And let's just, I, let me just tell you a little bit about the background to this. Uh, it, is, it is of note for its use of other passages from the Hebrew Scriptures. Almost every verse in Psalm 135 quotes the words or the ideas of another Old Testament passage. It's kind of like this compilation of bringing it together. Uh, there are four references to four different Psalms, two passages from Deuteronomy, two from Jeremiah, two from Exodus. And so this is kind of a compilation. Interestingly enough, this is also a psalm that in conservative Jewish services on Shabbat, on their Sabbath services, this is one of the psalms that is used in every service. And, and so it is a very powerful one. Um, and you'll notice the, the allusions to other scriptures that you might know. Now, one other thing we want to just look at, there are seven different Hebrew words that are translated into English praise. So... Um, this is the one that is used the most in, in the Psalms. This is the word halal. Or it is the root word for hallelujah. Hallelujah. In, there's also, sometimes it, it, it is actually literally translated halal ja or halal hallelujah. But in this case, it is, it is halal. Now there are other uh, six other words that are used uh, rather frequently in the Psalms. Some of them mean quietness. Uh, the, the, this, is, this is one, this has the idea of boasting or bragging to the point of looking foolish. Bragging to the point of looking foolish. But it also has the idea of to be clear, to be brilliant, to be bright, to make a show of. So when we think about this, make a show of the Lord. Make a show of the name of the Lord. Give a show of... You know, when you, when you think about it like that. Uh, but but the, the idea here is that we brag about or, or speak well of and, and bless the Lord. Um, and this is about public praise. There are other words that are used for more private praise. This is meant to be public. This is the praise that happens in front of everyone. Uh, this, is about, um, this is about corporate worship. And, I, and so as we read this, let's stand together and I will read it to you. And, and let's think about these ideas, how that this is meant, this is meant, this is our call, our space where we enjoy God. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Give praise, O servants of the Lord, who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing to his name, for it is pleasant. For the Lord has chosen Jacob, Jacob for himself. Israel as his possession. For I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deep. He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes the lightning for the rain, who brings forth the wind from his storehouses. He it is who struck, struck down the firstborn of Egypt, both a man and a beast, who in your midst, O Egypt, sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants who struck down many nations and killed mighty kings, Sion, king of the Amorites, and Og, the king of Bashan, and all the kingdoms of Canaan, and gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to his people Israel. 
Your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your renown, O Lord, throughout all the ages. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. O house of Israel, bless the Lord. O house of Aaron, bless the Lord. O house of Levi, bless the Lord. Ye who, you who fear the Lord, bless the Lord. Blessed be the Lord from Zion, who dwells in Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. So I see in this psalm, first of all, a call to praise, and then a reason for that praise, and then he ends with an exaltation of praise. The psalm calls, opens with a call to praise. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. This is a call to forget my own petty interests. And I have many. And my own petty concerns. And I have many. And take the stand with the host of heaven and give back to God what is rightly His. This is not about drumming up some artificial feelings of praise. Rather, it's about bringing our whole heart to God. Think about this. Bringing your whole heart, everything in it, the pain, the joy, the sadness, the brokenness, the wholeness, about bringing your whole heart to God, realizing who He is and who we are. He's our Father. This week, in the last two weeks, we've been to two funerals. This, last, this week, uh, on Friday, it was a funeral of Narita's first cousin in Indiana, her name was Jolene. Jolene was a person who praised the Lord at all times. She was uh, uniquely designed by God for the kingdom and for her family. The world called her handicapped with special needs. But as Narita's brother Conrad so succinctly put it in the sharing time, Jolene understood what it meant to be uninhibited in her praise of the Lord and her love of people. She loved everyone she came in contact with. We went into the hotel in, uh, near where the funeral was and checked in, and the lady said, are you here for the funeral? And I said, yes. And she said, I did not know she died. And I said, this is an English lady. They have just a small Mennonite church. There's other Mennonites in Davis County. There's other Mennonites there. And I said, oh, so did you know Jolene? Oh, yeah, she said, she and her mom, you would come. I work part-time at the CVS. She and her mom would come in, and she'd always talk to me. And she'd always ask me, what's your name? What's your name? Now, she did that to me, too, uh, you know, several hundred times over the span of the last few years. But she, and she'd know, she'd tease a little bit, but she loved. And as Narita's brother Conrad got up and shared some of those memories and shared how Jolene touched his, his life, at the very end of that conversation, he said, who really was handicapped? Maybe it's us who are really handicapped. Maybe it's not Jolene. Because she could praise God in a way that we all kind of want to, but are too broken to. And so maybe God is calling us. Uh, another just kind of funny story, her brother said that they had Sunday dinner a month or several months ago, and uh, he said something really kind of foolish at the, at the dinner table. 
and she looked across the table and said, what's wrong with you? Are you handicapped? And, uh, you know, just that uninhibited kind of push into. Maybe embracing who she was. And in her own limited way, understanding herself. Maybe that's what God, maybe that's the only really good way that we can praise God is when we live like that. Maybe God is calling us to be childlike in our admiration, in our respect, and in our understanding of what he's done. Then he gives some reason for praise. Because the Lord is good, he says in verse 3. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing to his name, uh, and, and a better translation might be, for it is a beautiful name. For it is pleasant. But the Lord is good. And sometimes for those of us who live in the, in, a, in the broken world we live in, it is really hard for us to understand where is the goodness of God in all of this. And that is why I brought up the whole thing about the judgment psalms at the beginning. The vindication that God is going to bring. If we could understand that those people who have hurt us are someday going to pay in a mighty way. It will, it will keep us from hurting other people but it will also bring about a sense of saying, God is good. He is a, tr- a true good judge. And then he goes into six things. And I want you to catch these six, six things because I think we need them. It says, for the Lord has, jo- has chosen Jacob for himself. We are chosen. God has chosen us. Philip Yancey calls this a scandal of election. How is it that God in all his mighty power and all his strength looked down and saw Abraham? And then he saw his family. And that is broadened out to us. We are the true Jew today. We are the true children of Abraham if our hearts are circumcised. And why is it that God has chosen us? And if we could only live in the fact that we are chosen by him to be his people, I cannot understand predestination and election. That's not what this is about. This is about understanding that we as his children, he is our father. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself. Israel has his, as his possession. For I know that the Lord is great and that our, our Lord is above all gods. Notice the, uh, the possessive there. Note that our Lord is above all gods. It's one of the few times it's used here. It's a, psalmist is putting himself right in and saying, I am one of the chosen ones. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with doing that. Remember last Sunday I talked about who we are, that we're not this criminal hanging on the cross that just barely made it into heaven, but we reside with Jesus in the power of the resurrection. That makes us children of His, heirs and co-heirs with Him, and and, and it gives us power to live well. When we can embrace the fact that that we are the chosen children of God. There is no shame for me to say, I'm Monroe's, Milo's, Leroy's, Marcus. And neither is there any shame, and in, the, in a much bigger way, there is no shame in me saying, my father is the father of the universe, and my brother is Jesus Christ. Now, he's also my Lord. There's something much more powerful in that than saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm just... I'm so thankful that God delivered me and I'm just just barely into the kingdom. That is a poor way to live. I'm just a sinner saved by the grace of God and I'm just going to keep on doing what I need to do to you know. Oh, come on. Stop. You're a child of God. 
and as a child of God, live well in this world. And when we can embrace that, we're also going to understand that our daddy is going to take care of the people who hurt us. And we can also help him in, in bringing about justice in the world. The second thing I want you to notice is he's very clear that, that God is the creator of the heaven and earth. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and earth, in the seas and all the deeps. He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightning for the rain and brings forth the wind from his storehouse. He it is who we see in the created around us. And when we see that beautiful view, when I took the picture of a leaf this fall and looked at those minute details of that leaf, when I look out across the vast universe, when I see the storms coming, when I see the beauty of the world around me, I see God. And, and even more importantly, that makes us created beings. We didn't evolve out of something and become something by becoming better and better and better. We are created by God with unique gifts, unique pieces that we add to the kingdom. So he, we are chosen. He is our creator. And then, uh, third thing, He is our deliverer. What does it mean that God delivered us? Where were we going that we needed deliverance from? Who were you? Do you know that you needed deliverance? He it is who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, both of man and beast, who in your midst, O Egypt, sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants, who struck down many nations, killed many kings, and so on. How is it that we can... We need to understand that, that we were all in the, in the world of Pharaoh and Egypt. We were slaves. We were slaves to sin. You were driven by your slavery. And you thought like a slave. And God delivered us from that. He opened the sea. We walked through it. And we found mighty deliverance. And sometimes it's really hard to think about that or to even live that well. But what is it, what is it that God delivers us from, delivered us from and is delivering us from? See, that's why that last song is so important. Change my heart, O oh God. Because God is in the act of delivering us, even now, from making us more and more like Him. What do you need deliverance from? What is it that plagues you? Maybe I ought to have you write it down. What's the one thing that you, you're asking God is change, not, 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 don't you, not circumstantial, but something about yourself? I, is it anger? Is it negativity? Is it, I, I'm thinking about myself when I say these things. Is it lust? Is it, what is it? Do you think that God has the power to deliver you from that? Thank you. Who said, Irvin? Thank you. Thank you. We, we want to say amen to that, but we're not sure if we should. Because when we say amen real loud, I admire your vulnerability, we're saying we have something. And when we say amen real loud, we're also saying, I just can't fix this thing in me. I, I, I've tried. You know, I've tried not to get mad. I've tried to just talk nicely. It doesn't work. Because the true me will always come out at some point or another. And maybe we sometimes ought to let the true me come out and then say, oh, that is awful. 
God, deliver me from that. He is our deliverer. He wants to do it. Write it on a piece of paper and bring it to him and say, God, um, um, this is who I am. Can you open the Red Sea? Can you strike down the Pharaoh? Can you deliver me? And he will. And then it says, he is eternal. So you are chosen. He's the creator. He's the deliverer. And he is eternal. What does that mean? It means that we also will live forever. He is, he has, is, he was, and he will be. He does not change. And the same God who delivered the children of Israel, the same God the psalmist is singing to, is the same God that you and I worship today. Same God we praise today. And then it says, He is our vindicator. For the Lord will vindicate His people and have compassion on His servants. And so too there, He's our vindicator and He's compassionate. Think about God as being the true judge, the just judge. Think about the things that have happened in your life where you've been hurt. People may have taken money from you. People may have abused you. Those are horrible things. We hear the stories every day, nearly every day. We hear these stories. We can recount these stories of people who have been mightily hurt by other people. What would it be like if we understood that God is the true judge? And someday, even now, we can bring those complaints to him and say, God, would you please take action? God, please move. And suppose that judge didn't sit up there on the throne and say, What? Speak up. That's just a really minor thing. You mean you're bringing that to me? Suppose he's not like that. Suppose he looks at you with kindness and compassion and says, My child, I am so sorry. I will deal with that. And we must understand that when we hurt other people, the judge will look at us with compassion and kindness, but he will say, there is a price to pay for that. Suppose the great judgment seat of God is not some fearful place, but some place where all the good in the world will be brought back and all the evil done in the world will be vindicated. And I can come there and I can say, God, what happened to me in this situation hurts. It hurts. But please bring your healing to it. Please heal me. And please take care of those people. You know, when I was in my mid-teens, I wasn't going to tell this story, but when I was in my mid-teens, my family lost, financially lost everything they owned. And when you're in your mid-teens in your formative years, those are really difficult things. And we live in a community where there is much good but there is also much gossip. And I begin to hear these pieces of people talking about my family. And I remember the feeling of one of my friends who I thought was my friend coming to me and telling me this kind of horrible thing. 
and this kind of sinking feeling of feeling that deep hurt. And I carried the pain of that for a lot of years. It still hurts today. But I have to trust that God, now I spoke into the situation later, but I have to trust that someday God is going to require an answer of those people. That's why abusing the weak, the broken, and taking advantage of people and gossip and slander is so wrong. Because what it does is it ruins other people. It's like a rich man who looks at a poor man and says, I, I, I'm stronger than you, I'm going to take it away from you. You push that man out and he becomes a homeless, broken man. And then you laugh at him and say, if he would just only straighten up his life and work a little bit, or whatever you say. Someday, God will bring vindication for those things. But he will do it with compassion. He'll do it with honor and strength. When I, when I saw those things in this passage, that he, we are chosen, he is the creator, he's our deliverer, he's eternal, he's our vindicator, he's compassionate. And, and when I saw those things, I thought, ah, that's why we praise, that's why I can, every day, I can enjoy living in the presence of God because he is these things. But it's bigger than that, he's my deliverer, he's my father. And, and then he ends the section, he ends the psalm by comparing those who worship anything other than God. He said, note that, did you note that it says, that these people who build idols, the idols of the nation are silver and gold, the work of human hands. This is not just about a, a, a statue you build. This is about the idols we set up. Whatever we worship, we become like. We become like what we worship. And if you worship something dumb, dead, and stupid, you become like that. Maybe that's why there are so many people like that in our world. Did you ever think about that? They're becoming like who they worship. And he's kind of setting up the other side. He's saying, worship me because when you worship me, you become like me. You become the chosen. You live out of that. You become the deliverers. You become the eternal people who will live forever. You become the vindicators of good in the world. You become the compassionate. You become like me. Three summers ago, I was sitting at the square in Millersburg at the light. I had my window rolled down, and a pickup pulls up beside me. And the guy looks over, I still to this day have no clue who he was, looked over and said, Leroy, be bished. Leroy was my dad's name. Leroy, how are you? And this kind of shock went through me. And I thought, do I look that much like my dad? And I enjoyed that moment. Suppose it is that people look at you and say, oh, you're becoming so much like your father. You're becoming so much like who you worship. Wow, that person must be filled with his father's strength, his father's looks, his father's voice, his father's actions. That person is beginning to look like their daddy. And we get to that place by understanding who God is 
in our lives and what he's doing. Let's stand together. Lord, as we think about our own lives and the fact that you've called us, you've created us, you've called us, you've delivered us, you've chosen us, you are eternal, you're compassionate, and you will vindicate us. Help us to just live in that. And in those moments, those public moments and those private moments, Simply bring those things to you and say, thank you. We praise you, O God, because this is who you are. We praise you, God. We can live in the enjoyment of knowing that there is something much bigger than ourselves. We can live in the power of knowing that we don't have to bring the answers to the world. All we have to do is worship. All we have to do is enjoy your presence and glorify you. Be with us as we fellowship. Be with us as we uh, eat together. And may our, our, our enjoyment of each other be a pleasure to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. There is lunch here, right? Smell